Connor, I know you are much younger and fresher than I am, um, but do you remember Jake Plummer by any chance? Oh, I remember Jake the Snake. Okay. So an interesting fact about Jake Plummer, and I want to make sure I get this right. So give me one second here. Uh, Jake was a starter at Sun Devil Stadium for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten seasons. Can you explain how this is so? Can you solve my riddle? Oh, Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> you are correct. Right? You are correct. You are correct. The Arizona Cardinals. Do you know how long they played at Arizona State Stadium? Well, I'm going to imagine it. You said how many seasons? <laughs> at minimum so, so, six years. <laughs> so correct, correct. Yes, it's it's a it's far more than six years. The Cardinals showed up from St. Louis in 1988. Mm-hmm. And they didn't move to their own stadium outside of Arizona States until 2005. No way. <laughs> they basically had to leave Arizona State to go off to college on their own. That and rocks. Then- That's That reminds me of um, when the Bears had to play on Illinois' campus for mm-hmm. a couple years, mm-hmm. which is not like going out to the suburbs. That's multiple hours away from Chicago. It's driving to Champaign-Urbana. So this is, yeah, this is a more toned-down version of that. Sure, yeah, and, like, the Vikings played... They had to play a playoff game at uh, Minnesota's field outdoors yes. in the freezing cold and wind. A, a field goal uh, nightmare. Um, but nothing, nothing comes close to... The Cardinals showing up and crashing on Arizona State's couch for 17 years, so long that they could. They showed up when Jake Plummer was 14, and then they <laughs> drafted him, and he played there for six years before he got traded uh, to the Denver Broncos. They had to like evict him basically to get out yeah. of there. He, yeah. 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 He, Did he get to uh, keep his own locker? You think? I hope so. I hope. The, I hope. I hope the. I hope he stayed in the dorms. Frankly, I hope he never got a house. <laughs> I hope he was still showing up to Arizona State trading table, being like, "What's the difference?" <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. Understand. I don't get it. We were red, a different shade. That's I right. That's right. Uh, I guess the difference is Arizona State was much more likely to have a winning season at that point than the Arizona Cardinals, <laughs> who who had one winning season the entirety of the time. That they were crashing at ASU. Wait, of that whole one winning season, one winning season, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. Shout out Larry Fitzgerald. But this is not a podcast about the Arizona Cardinals. Thank God. Yeah. Today, that's... today we're going to talk about the Arizona State Sun Devils, and I am the proud owner of, I believe it's called the Sunburst Crew Neck. Which is mm, one of my one. favorite pieces of Arizona State uh, merch that y'all have. It like has this fun sort of seventies throwback look. It doesn't have a giant menacing uh, sort of sexy devil on it, which I enjoy, but I'm not sure that I could pull off in my personal life. And so I'm curious, Connor, do you have a favorite piece of Arizona State merch that Homefield offers? I do, and it does feature a giant sexy devil on it. <laughs> it's the stop the bus tee so our team goes into great length of research for sure and so we couldn't get this approved the first time around but this happens a lot where schools you know they see what we do and they begin to trust us more so this was denied the first time around we brought it for the second launch on the uh starting in 04 
Arizona State started this pregame video of Sparky just stomping on a bus. You've seen this, yes, yes of yes. the opposing team. Yes, and like Sparky Godzilla is style, massive. basically. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so we, we've got Sparky stomping on what appears to be like, you know, 75 plus passenger bus here. It's the size of his foot. So he's big. Yeah. And you can see mountains in the background for scale. He's huge. And he just, uh, he's delighting and stomping on this bus. So I was really happy when we got that one pushed through. Arizona State in general, I love the school. Uh, my wife had a friend in growing up who had a Bosch wrist surgery and he won this huge settlement, like hundreds of thousands of dollars when he was a teenager. And he took that money, went to Arizona state, bought a house there and was the captain of the wakeboarding team. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The American dream is not dead. Ladies and gentlemen, you too can have a boss wrist surgery, pay your way fully for out-of-state tuition from Michigan to go to Arizona State, <laughs> buy a house, and be the captain of the wakeboarding team. And a boat. He bought a boat, too. I Look, I'm very excited about the people we have for this episode, but now I kind of wish I had reached out to uh, medical, se- medical Settlement Mark <laughs> to learn more <laughs> about his, his sweet wakeboarding life. Oh, my God. Uh, mostly, here's here's the thing I'm going to end on. What do you think you have to do to be named captain of the wakeboarding team? Unspeakable acts. Uh, also, you probably have to be really good at wakeboarding, which he was growing up in Michigan. I just think it's funny that, I mean, every piece of, every detail, it's like the story just gets better and builds on itself. Just absolutely perfect. Um, I can't promise you're going to hear about wakeboarding adventures in this episode, but... We are going to learn more about what it's like to root for a giant cartoon devil who stomps on buses. I'm Brad Denny. Uh, I cover Arizona State football for 3TV and CBS5 in Phoenix. Lifelong uh, Phoenix uh, resident. My dad was an ASU alum. I'm an ASU alum, class of 04. So I have been uh, neck deep in this maroon and gold for uh, a long time. And I've been hosting the Speak of the Devils podcast since 2011. So... We've seen a lot. Hi, I'm Gina Mizell, and I am an Arizona State graduate and lifelong Sun Devil football fan. I'm a reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. I cover the Philadelphia 76ers. My name is Justin Prestigard. I am a graduate of Arizona State University. I attended school there in the mid to late 90s, um, and I've just been a lifelong fan uh, leading up to my college years and ever and ever since. What is your first Sun Devil football memory? I think it was about 1989. I was like six or seven at the time. And it's kind of an infamous day in Sun Devil history. They were playing the, the hated Arizona Wildcats. My dad took me to a game at Sun Devil Stadium. Sun Devils go through the warm-ups in their, their normal uh, maroon jerseys. And they go inside and then they take the field in these hideous gold jerseys. And, they, and the coach at the time thought it would be a great motivational tactic, but it turned out to be... Uh, anything but, and the Wildcats ran over them that day. Uh, they became known as like kind of the flying bananas, and <laughs> ASU fans are weirdly obsessed with uniforms. And uh, so, um, it, and like the the stain of that the, of that day, and that infamy of the golden uniform or golden jerseys, lasted about thirty years. They didn't try that again until uh, I believe two years ago. Um, so there's a superstitious element, but that was like the first element. I just remember turning to my dad and he's like, "What's going on? Where's my team?" Just seeing that and. 
Uh, yeah, just like the, the the perfect amalgamation of just like kind of the weird superficial stuff of Sun Devil uh, fandom kind of getting in the way and just, you know, another heartbreaking moment at the time. I think it was like the eighth straight loss that they had against uh, the Wildcats at that point. What was the reception like when they brought the uniforms back a couple years ago? Dread. Absolute dread. I mean, the, the most superstitious fan base that I, I've like, And so, like, another example is a couple of years, like in 2013, they came out with uh, what they're now referred to as the bowling ball helmets, but it was just like uh, a flame pattern on the helmet. And it's like they, they were like uh, saying, oh, it's so innovative. Like, every flame pattern is very unique. The face mask has a charred texture. Uh, they got run over by Notre Dame in that, in that game. And, um, and so, like, they were just like, they, the fans initially loved them, but since they lost, hated them. And so it's just like, the small things that really don't impact the stuff um, really kind of get in the way, getting stuck in the Sun Devil psyche in a way that uh, just kind of lasts a lot of uh, multi-decades in a lot of cases. My family is originally from Minnesota. Okay. Uh, when I was a youngster, my parents decided after 35 years of shoveling snow, they wanted to move somewhere where it was the exact opposite climate. Um, the company that my parents worked for had a, had a convention in Phoenix and the hotel that they uh, were staying in recruited my mom. So we moved to Phoenix, uh, in the early eighties. Um, and so the first time that, uh, Arizona state was uh, pac 10 champions and went to the Rose bowl, I was 10. Um, so I just remember my dad trying to ingratiate himself with the local uh, sports scene and, and anytime ASU or, you know, Phoenix Suns were on TV. Cause those were the only, sporting options in in phoenix at the time it was on and um so when they clinched um going to the rose bowl then it was like okay now we're going to watch all these games and i should back up slightly by saying the reason that my dad wanted to watch the rose bowl that year was less because arizona state was playing in it it's because my mom's best friend her husband was a michigan alum so he wanted to watch that game more to see if Michigan would choke and lose than he did to root for Arizona State. I mean, that's a very relatable reason to watch a bowl game, frankly. Absolutely. You know, as a 10-year-old, I had no idea who Bo Schembechler was, but I will tell you, watching my dad laugh hysterically at Jim Harbaugh complaining to the refs about crowd noise is something that just stuck with me. Um, and so... We moved around a few more times across the country as I was growing up. But when it came time to pay colleges, I, I, that's why I wanted to move back to, to go to school there. Um, but at the time, I was going to high school in Georgia. So I wanted to get as far away from family as possible. Inevitably, by the time ASU made it to the Rose Bowl my junior year, my parents followed me back out and because the same thing, they liked it. So it's probably because of that being at that age – when that first Rose Bowl hit, that it was like, okay, wow, this this could be a fun place to go to school. My family had season tickets for you know many, many, many years during my childhood and adulthood, and I, my first vivid memory is the Rose Bowl year in 1996. Um, that was kind of part of my, I think, coming of age as a sports fan. We had experienced the Phoenix Suns in the 1993 NBA Finals, losing to Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and then next up, a couple years later was that magical 96 season um, where if ASU had won the Rose Bowl, they probably would have won the national championship that year. And I was obsessed with Jake Plummer. 
still am to a certain extent. <laughs> He's one person that if I were to meet him someday, I would probably fangirl. But obviously, Pat Tillman was on that team. Just a an incredible, incredible season. And watching that Rose Bowl um, on television and the heartbreak of the end of that game um, still sticks with me to this day. And, you know, they kind of joke that you're not really a sports fan until you experience that level of heartbreak. And I, I remember it with the Suns in 93, but it was really, I think, to an even greater level uh, in, in 96 with that Rose Bowl. And, yeah, I grew up, you know, going to games with my family. But that is is kind of the obvious answer that sticks out. But that's really where I think it, it started uh, a lifelong. Uh, stretch of, of heartbreak and mediocrity with some fun in, in the mix there, but that was a good introduction to being an ASU football fan. Jake Plummer does his heroic thing that you know he's been doing all season long. You know, he was a Heisman finalist and just he's still one of the most revered characters uh, in Sun Devil lore. Has that tremendously weird touchdown run, score, gets ASU to within 90 seconds of a national title, and then Ohio State, and then. then course the penalties and then it's, uh, you know the Courtney Jackson getting beat by uh, David Boston for that touchdown it just it, it remains to this day the most painful painful memory in, in Sun Devil athletic history first I should start off by saying I was in the stands I was in the the area that they sold the tickets to to students um, so I was literally less than 30 yards from David Boston making that catch uh, but as much as that hurt, I will say by the time we got home from uh, Pasadena about three, four days later and could muster up the uh, strength to watch a replay of it, um, it definitely would sting a little bit more when you see some of the things that I have subsequently you know, chatted with fans and alumni and even a few members of the team from that year about you know, Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, things that could have gone right or wrong or, you know, the refs and all that kind of stuff. But in the end, especially now, you know, almost 30 years later, and you see how few instances the team or the program, excuse me, ever made it back, you go, you know what? <laughs> that was an amazing game. And even though it ripped my heart out, and it made for one of the most solemn six-hour drives home. It, it it still, you know, pops up all over the place as far as, you know, one of the craziest uh, football games, college football games ever, ever played. The Rose Bowl is interesting to me because, you know, it's this very Pac-12-affiliated thing. Arizona yes. State has meaningful Pac-12 history, but it's not as long as some of the other schools that are leaving the conference this year. Sure. So how do Arizona State fans feel about leaving this conference where they've spent, you know, 40 plus years, but mm -hmm. not 100 years, not 115 years or something like that? Right. I think there's still a lot of sadness and just disappointment over that. Not that you know, finding a, a landing spot in the Big 12, which I also have professional experience covering and I'm very familiar with that league. Not that that's not 
an, an adequate or appropriate landing spot given all the realignment. But still, no, there's there's a huge tie, I think, still to the, what was the Pac-10 and then became the Pac-12. Um, my parents went to Arizona State in, in the 70s and 80s, and they remember when they joined the Pac-10. And they've told me stories about, you know, kind of feeling uh, after being in the WAC for so many years and so many great teams under Frank Cush, like finally feeling like they were part of the, of the big dogs and getting invited to the conference and beating John Elway and Stanford uh, in one of their, I think it was the first Pac-10 game. I could be wrong, but like in that first season and just the, the pride that that brought to the to the team. And what's funny is that the mediocrity also kind of started when they joined the Pac-10 because they had been so successful in the 70s under Kush, which of course I'm not old enough to have been able to see and experience, but there's still a huge strong tie to the Pac-10 and, you know, the rivalry with USC, the USC fans probably wouldn't feel like that. But, you know, there's 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 a tie to USC and the LA schools and, you know, even Oregon and Washington to a certain extent and of course the rivalry with with Arizona but that's existed and transcended conferences and I'm so happy that both teams are going together uh, to the Big 12 because when there was that period of time where it looked like Arizona might go and Arizona State might not I'm like oh my gosh this would be terrible but we're seeing all these rivalries getting split up with the realignment so yeah to answer your question um, there there is still I think a strong tie to the league and when all of the realignment stuff was happening a couple weeks ago I was just really bummed as somebody who you know, loves Pac-12 football, a Pac-10 football, grew up on it, defends it in a lot of ways when a lot of other parts of the country don't respect it. Uh, and it's going to be really strange to see Arizona State not in this league moving forward after this season. I've wrestled with this one pretty much ever since, you know, I, I stopped keeping a check of how many days it has been since uh, Larry Scott uh, was asking if we could get a deal with DirecTV. Uh, it, it's... <laughs> There were times where I thought I would just be really bummed out about not being affiliated with the Pac-12 or the Pac-10, especially, you know, during that, that stretch of time. But I guess now, having had so much time since the success of the, more so the, the, the football program than any of the other sports, watching what seems like, a, you know, an implosion from higher levels of leadership it's 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 frustrating but i also understand this somewhat need of self-preservation mm -hmm. um so i guess maybe because of my experience of living in so many different places and now more so as i've grown into my adult life of connecting with alumni who have moved all over because i guess that's one of those things about not just Arizona as a state and its population, but also as the, the student and alumni bases, they're from all over the country. I mean, obviously, you can't really find a whole lot of three, four, fifth generation Arizonans. They're out there, don't get me wrong, but I, I just, it's the same having met people that have moved back to wherever it was that they were originally from after graduating from ASU. I'm becoming less and I don't know, it's like the, the grieving process. Mm -hmm. I think I've gotten to the acceptance side of it, knowing that it's, uh, let's just make this last season go out with a bang and make it as chaotic as possible. The overwhelming sense was they're just happy to get out. Mm -hmm. They kind of, you know, abandoned the sinking ship. I, I do think there was an element of spite um, to, in, in as part of the 
enjoyment of leaving because ASU's president, Dr. Michael Crow, had been such an ardent defender of uh, former Pac-12 commissioner Larry Scott. And um, it, it was really, I mean, you, you, all his comments you know, since ASU made the announcement was still kind of like, well, yeah, the Apple deal was really good. We should we should stay. And, and just like everybody, like, he's not a very popular figure within Sun Devil circles, or at least I should say Sun Devil athletic circles. A lot of folks question his ability, like if he even cares about athletics as a whole, um, and kind of you know helping ASU kind of reach the potential that uh, you know especially football has really kind of never tapped into. Uh, but overall, uh, I, I don't know that the, I mean, especially since Arizona's coming along with there, I, I think you could have had some issues if in case if the, the two were split up conference wise. But since they're coming along, I think they're just happy to kind of you know abandon a sinking ship, find a, find a life raft, and, and you know get a decent payday out of it. It feels so weird that. Arizona State and Arizona would not be in the same conference. They have <laughs> shared a conference basically their whole football existence, mm-hmm. and that's included multiple moves across the years. Did you feel like there was a real chance that we could see one leave and one stay or go different, uh, go to different destinations? It looked like that for a tiny bit, and that was amongst many crazy realignment things that I feel like during that maybe week when it just felt like the story was changing every hour or certainly every day. And, um, you know, during that time, I was actually out um, to to lunch with a friend who's an Arizona grad, and we were talking about that, like, okay, we – like we're, we hate each other when when we're playing against the, playing against each other, but like that's that's the fun that's the fun of college sports and and so that's what's such a bummer again about all these conferences splitting up is that that's part of the fun is the is the, the hatred and the those rivalries and and how you know you can get along you know, the 364 days or maybe 360 if you count basketball games or whatnot, but those I mean yeah and it's it's funny because obviously in our line of work you know you sort of get not jaded but you sort of lose and shed the fandom sure. a little bit just because you have to. Um, but uh, I, I still hate Arizona. <laughs> I, just, I do. I still hate U of A. I still hate the Wildcats. And I can still put that professionally aside. Like I did cover Pac-12 football for about three years and, you know, you're able to separate. But um, I, I love it when the Sun Devils beat the Wildcats. So I'm glad <laughs> that that will still be on the table, unlike some other rivalries that have been split up with the, the realignment the last couple of years. There's on a board of regents that oversees those two universities as well as NAU. I don't think would have ever let 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 that happen. Uh, come, and of course, just, you know, they're so tied together. Um, and I just think, you know, when, when they saw the, the financial element of this, the likely future of the pack, whatever, um, that, yeah, they were going to they're going to keep the keep those those uh, two schools together. Um, you know, I think that, you know, obviously a cultural fit and a athletic fit, academic fit, just it was, and, uh, you know, just, I think that they just didn't want to uh, split that up. And I, I really just don't, I think that was, I know that was floated out there. I just don't think that ever was given any real serious traction. What do you think the lasting Pac-12 memory is going to be for Arizona State fans? Probably their involvement in some of the more insane Pac-12 after dark football <laughs> games. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, 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 and and I saw that it just kind of populate itself on social media once this whole process happened a few weeks ago when it was like, oh, wow, okay, well, we're going to have one last season of it. And just people sharing things and then realizing, oh, yeah, there was the Missouri game. Oh, yeah, there was the Wisconsin game. <laughs> that is oh, my yeah. personal favorite, the Wisconsin oh, game. Yeah. And, and then you throw in the two instances where they played top-ranked Pac-12 teams that Oh, we're just going to play ASU and it'll be fine. Oops, we right, right. lost. And mm-hmm. what UW and, and Oregon 
no longer have a, a shot at, at, at the uh, national championship. So those, you know, insane uh, instances, I think, are, are going to me to be lasting memories because they would inevitably win games that you wouldn't think they had a shot at. But conversely, they would also shoot themselves in the foot with games that you thought, how did, how did that happen? I mean, Lane Kiffin doesn't get fired on a tarmac if they don't lose at Arizona State and have to fly home from that. Right. And I guess that the, that particular season, the 2013 season, for me mimics some of the chaoticness that happened with the 96 season. Obviously, the results were were different, but you know the 96 season had a few games where you're like, there's certain plays that you're like, how did that happen? The, the, the game against USC that went into double overtime, and yet they still won by two scores. Mm-hmm. It, it was insane. But then you have the 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 Wisconsin game, the USC game. Uh, it, it's just there were certain instances where they had, I don't know if you call them lucky breaks, but still just things that make you just put your hands on your head and go, how did that happen? Yeah, I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you're right. And then uh, uh, six hours later, uh, hearing he he did what <laughs> i is, was uh he did what really should be the lane kiffin uh, biography title at this point a- a- absolutely absolutely like i said it's it was a lot of just kind of six and six seasons and mm-hmm. a couple times where they had those 10 win seasons but i mean yeah i i really do think it is the, the rose bowl year yeah. and the kind of the constant quest to try to get back to it obviously they also went to the rose bowl in 1986 that was a couple years before i was born so i do not remember um that game but my my parents do um but yeah i think it really was that that magical season and yeah you look back and there were a couple 10 win years here and there um you know i was in college when dennis erickson's first season the, the team won 10 games and and all of that i mean they've had some uh, again an, an, a nice string periodically of, of good players come through you look at a player like Terrell Suggs and what he did in in college was unbelievable and you know some quarterbacks that have come through the Andrew Walters of of the world um even like a Taylor Kelly who's kind of a uh only college fans know him but like kind of the, the quintessential like steady college guy like how yes. is he still in in college I mean maybe the maybe the Hail Mary against USC a few years ago like I'm just kind of thinking of stuff off the top of my head but really it was you know I I saw a Rose Bowl when I was eight years old and haven't seen one since then and there have been a couple times where they've maybe flirted with potentially being close but logistic or legitimately we're not you know really really in the running for that so it'll be interesting to see yeah what is this team now going to be chasing as a member of the big 12 especially like again what is what are even all the bowl things going to look like right. in the playoffs and is yeah is it a is it a playoff berth is it a cotton bowl berth i don't even know at this yeah. point just yeah. because that is such a it, it's been such a you know pie in the sky for every team for so many years that's what you're going for is a rose bowl berth and that's not going to be on the table anymore maybe the 87 rose bowl okay uh, yeah because they won that one and so that that was a, a year where but w- w- again kind of going back to the yeah, but, you know, uh, mm-hmm. element of ASU fandom, that's when they lost to, they had a crushing loss to Arizona to end the season, even though that they had already punched the ticket to um, Pasadena. So I would say, you know, that that's kind of the high water mark, even though that team is not nearly as celebrated and revered as the 96 team that went to the 97 Rose Bowl. Uh, I w- um, perhaps you, you might have an argument for some newer fans that, you know, the 2013-2014 seasons under Todd Graham, 
both 10 win seasons and you know ASU's typically kind of in the historically you know, like a six seven so you get to double digits that's a that's a pretty big deal and, and going back to back and you know they were pretty and in 2014 there was uh in the first playoff ranking after they came uh, off of a huge home win against Notre Dame uh I I have still I've been at stadiums all across the country I have never seen a stadium as loud as that w- was after a, a late pick six by ASU to seal the win over Notre Dame um ASU comes out number six in, in the first playoff rankings and then they got lowly Oregon State uh, ne- the next week. And of course, ASU fans know what happened. They went and it was like 21 degrees of kickoff. It just absolute misery in Corvallis. And, and they, 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 they just uh, get destroyed there. Um, that's kind of like first domino to fall in the end of the uh, Todd Graham era. But yeah, I would probably say, you know, outside of that, that, that celebrated 96 team, um, the Rose Bowl win. But then, yeah, more recently, um, you know, a lot of fans like those double digit wins, but then it's ever since then, it's just been kind of, you know, trying to chase that high. What are the emotional contours of the rivalry with Arizona? Like what's the relative positioning? What are sort of the ways in which these two schools dig into each other's brains and hearts? Oh, it is absolute hatred. And I know like you know, out West, sometimes things get overlooked a little bit, but this rivalry has as much hatred as, as any in the country. It is just absolute like bile just like you know being spit at, at each fan base uh and so you know for the better part of, of my lifetime basically i think since the 60s asu's had a pretty much a, a moderate edge in football but of course u of a being a tremendous basketball power and kind of the running joke in, in tempe is that anytime asu's doing well in football when they get a win over the cats it's just always wait till basketball season wait till basketball season is a common refrain but it, it just get it gets nasty um the, these two fan bases uh, really hate each other these two schools um, you know, uh, Kenny Dillingham, now the ASU's head coach, he's a, a Valley native, ASU alum in his own right. And so he's kind of bringing back kind of the, what it means to, uh, to, to play against the Wildcats and, and to, to, uh, beat the Wildcats. And ASU recently had a five game win streak in the series, series snapped. And you can see the, the, the players that had that streak, you know, carried that with great pride and just like, they, they felt like they let everybody down. Uh, last year and you know, one of the things that really kind of jumps out to me is like talking to the guys from in the 60s and 70s and former Sun Devils and just you you, you know they might tell great stories or but when the Wildcats are mentioned there's a light in the eye that it's just like <laughs> it's like you kind of maybe it's the, the red Terminator eyes or something like that like oh it, it's on um, so yeah th- I mean it is it is something that is not lost and you know they sometimes can get get nasty and cross some lines um, but it is just absolute hatred out here in the in the West while the first memory of an ASU football game I have was my dad turning on the game where they clinched the back 10 against Cal. The very next week was when they went to play the Territorial Cup and Chuck Cecil ran an interception back 100 yards and and, and it just, from, for me it was like, okay, I see where, the, where this hatred comes <laughs> from now, even though I was 10 years old. Now, uh-huh. mind you, as a kid, I didn't know anybody who had family members that went there. It was just a few of the other um, athletic events that my parents took us to were against U of A. I, I went to an ASU U of A basketball game. I want to say it was Steve Kerr's. It was the year that they went to the Final Four. Yeah. So I went in there thinking, oh, we're going to see ASU, not realizing that uh, half of Tucson comes to Tempe for that game every year, or at least did for nine out of ten years because of their success in basketball. So that – those two memories were like, okay, even though I'm a kid, I think I'm somewhat baptized in what this rivalry is like. Um, I only went down to Tucson once for a rivalry event. It was for to support another friend who 
uh, had someone on the volleyball team. It wasn't anywhere near as uh, contentious, if you will, but I never really wanted to go down to any away games for any of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that it's just, it's the combination of the, sh even, I say short distance because it's, it's about an hour and a half drive between mm -hmm. the schools. It's not too bad. But when whenever one program is doing well in a certain sport, the other ones aren't, I wouldn't even say they're mediocre. In some cases, they're just despondent. And so, you know, if the ASU football team was doing good, U of A wasn't usually doing well. When the U of A basketball team was doing well, ASU wasn't was doing well and and then so on and so forth and so it just it was always one group telling the other wait till this season mm -hmm. <laughs> oh we kicked your butt in football <laughs> 70 to 7 well just wait till basketball season right or 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 even baseball to a to a certain degree as well but it it was always one or the other and um I felt it as a student I felt it pro I probably have felt it more since I graduated, just because of the years of where it, there were very few instances where both programs felt like they were on equal footing uh, competitively. Mm -hmm. And to kind of go back to your initial question, I think that lends itself sometimes to why the rivalry doesn't necessarily get some of that um, romanticism that we feel it locally, because um, to borrow a phrase from Ray Anderson, quite frankly, it's never really, there's never consistency between both programs to where it lends itself to other areas of the country paying attention to, oh, they really hate each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hate each other so much that they would uh, pay for billboards and, and do, you know, do some crazy stuff to to cause some viral attention online or in the news. You are an Arizona state fan. And I want you to tell me what the stereotypical Arizona fan is like in the meanest way possible <laughs> that you feel comfortable with. They like to say they're the superior academic institution, which, okay, Arizona has the med school, but ASU is the better business school. ASU is a better journalism school. ASU has the education program. And honestly, that school, has, like ASU has a reputation of being a party school and they like to harp on that. Um, but I would say, you know, you have to live in freaking Tucson if you go to school in Arizona. <laughs> and I used to joke with my friends from high school. I grew up in the Phoenix area. I'm like, you're only going to Arizona because you want to pay in-state tuition, but you want to like be away from your parents, but still an hour and a half away if you want to come home and do laundry. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, and if you're talking again, we can, we can talk about Arizona state, not having a great football history, especially in the PAC 12, but still no Rose bowl for Arizona ever. <laughs> and it's never going to happen ever, ever, ever now. So, you know, that's, 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 that's what we'll have on them forever. I suppose okay. we had two, they had none and okay. yeah, they can go, you know, go have fun in, in Tucson because there's right. nothing to do there. There's no other sport, uh, possible other than basketball. Uh, we bring up basketball all the time. Uh, we have, uh, statues of Lou Olson, uh, in more than one room in the house. <laughs> And uh, we have his and hers, Wilbur and Wilma, 
uh, plushies uh, around the Christmas tree and in her stockings every year. Ooh, um, honestly, that that gets a little little racist, um, just okay. because the proximity to Tucson or from Tucson to Mexico. That's an area that I think a lot of, you know, no fan base is, is just kind of a monolith, you know. Yes. So it's just like, but there's a there's an uncomfortable amount of, of I think fans that kind of use that a little bit. Um, but of course, you know, Phoenix being kind of the, the metro, the big city, like top five city in the country, Tucson is looked down as, as like the backwater, mm-hmm. uneducated, you know, honestly, it's the roads are terrible. It just kind of, it's not, you know, it, 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 it is what it is. It has some charm, but yeah, so it is kind of like a big city versus, you know, kind of the, the, the backwoods, uneducated folk, you know, to kind of put, put the hatred most politely, I guess. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you to do the flip. What is an Arizona fan going to say about an Arizona State fan if they are just not concerned about being kind or polite? That uh, Arizona State fans are living in the past. One of the things that ASU fans like to hold over Arizona is that they've never been to Rose Bowl. Well, ASU hasn't been to Rose Bowl since 1997. So they, uh, you know, they all accuse ASU fans of living in the past and whenever they try to bring that up. Um, and a lot of just kind of just like resting on unjust and unearned laurels mm-hmm. and that just because okay they, they might win you know 55 60 percent of the football matchups or whatever and get stomped in basketball probably even in baseball so kind of the three sports people care about that they, they think that asu fans just have this kind of unjust sense of entitlement even like for a team that really you know again hasn't been to a rose bowl since 1997 has won a south title um you know actually 10 years ago so you haven't done a whole lot lately but still tries to carry the we're the bigger big dignified smart brother where you guys down in tucson are just kind of the uh, uneducated unwashed masses again the the party school mantra of you know whether that's bros or that is a certain type of woman or whatever you want to say about that and obviously very little basketball history so they would like to harp on you know we're we're a basketball school and so like they they they've got you know they can they can have that on arizona state fans but no i think it would be just maybe playing on the whole oh yeah you're always the sleeping giant you're always but how come you never actually come through um yeah i think that's i think those are some things that some arizona fans would say about us and they're probably right in certain instances <laughs> but i would push back would push back on others <laughs> okay. i would probably use the term insufferable okay <laughs> <laughs> because if you're using the rules of engagement it doesn't really apply. Some people say don't fire unless fired upon, but when it comes to online banter, I would definitely say it that doesn't that doesn't exist. So I would say if I were to put myself in their shoes, I would say ASU fans are insufferable. Uh, they only talk about their glory days in the seventies and the eighties and their uh athletic program has a, a has a bad gambling problem okay even though even though that was 25 30 years ago but whatever one last arizona related question okay have you ever painted one of the a's no i haven't actually no i haven't and i've hiked a mountain before which is the one in in tempe and uh i have seen it both uh, overtaken i've seen it red and i've also you know obviously seen it gold most of the time but no i have not I have not partaken in, you know, painting anything, stealing any mascots, uh, <laughs> probably just hurled some insults and some silly things at, you know, players and coaches and other fans, most likely. <laughs> I have not. 
and that was probably one of my regrets at, at when I was going to school there. I was, uh, yeah. And so, like, U of A has this weird thing where I think theirs is on, I might be mistaken, but, like, on federally protected land or something. So uh-huh. it's, like, the penalty for getting caught there versus the the A in temp B is, like, so severe. And I, I, I don't know. I was always kind of maybe a little skittish and rule follower in, in that terms. Like, oh, I don't want to go to prison <laughs> for, for painting an A. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they – and. So, yeah, it gets pretty nasty in terms of there because there's a couple of years ago where, yeah, every woke Tempe woke up one morning, the A on, in, on the, the Butte and Tempe was, was red, and they were just like, come on, guys. Like, it's, what are we doing here? What are, what are those students? Come on. Can't be that hungover, student body. Let's go. I have not painted uh, one of the A's. However, I did uh, participate. I'm assuming the statute of limitations uh, are up. Uh, if I need to seek your legal counsel, I will. I'll let you know. This is privileged. Uh, Everything from here on fantastic. is privileged. Fantastic. Uh, so, the the year after they went to the Rose Bowl, so the 1997 season, mm-hmm. when we had the home game against uh, uh, Arizona, there is a uh, pedestrian crosswalk that goes over uh, University Drive, which connects the main part of the campus with the dorms that are on the northern end of campus. It's basically a bridge that connects the area from the south end of campus going towards uh, Sun Devil or Mountain America Stadium, uh, what it's now now naming rights. Uh, and uh, we went up there one evening, uh, me and a, and a group of friends. Uh, it was, excuse me, it was the evening before the Territorial Cup. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had gone to a few... Um, thrift stores and tried to find as many stuffed animal cats that we could and uh, found some uh, ways to uh, display them over the overhang. (laughs) I'm assuming now in my older years, wondering how much this looked like some sort of a a mafia or a cartel hit. Um, Didn't matter. Ortiz Jenkins basically uh, ran roughshod over ASU that evening. And I think the ASU quarterback injured his knee and, so any shot that ASU had of going to the Fiesta Bowl went out the window and ended up going to the Sun Bowl in El Paso for one of what became one of about four or five trips over the next uh, few years. Besides Arizona, is there any team that consistently scratches at the feelings of Arizona State fans in a consistent way? I would say, and and this is more so from my own experience, pre-Pac-12. Pac-10, it was, in my mind, it was USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I got to see them twice uh, in uh, at Sun Devil Stadium. And both times, it reminded me how much I absolutely despised the USC marching band. Uh, wow. You know, even though they would be stuck... In the uh, you know the the far reaches of the of the of the upper deck end zone, that theme song just you know I can see why they would play it during practices mm-hmm. to basically get the football team so angry that when they came out there they would you want to run run all over them, um, but I can see now where as as it grew into the Pac-12. I feel like there's momentum there. There's just as many ASU fans that say, stop calling it a rivalry with Utah. It's not a rivalry. But I think partially because of Utah's success 
since they've joined the Pac-12 as much as what they've done to to ASU in some of the some of those instances where it's like I feel like they're kind of creeping up there and maybe now so because we're staying together in the Big 12 where that may kind of transition more into their you know a, a, your, your secondary rivalry just from a regionality standpoint fittingly on Arizona State brand there's kind of a lot of like dissension amongst who's the number two rival mm -hmm. so a lot of there's a segment of the fan base that will say USC just because of kind of the the Pac-10 and Pac-12 history there even though it's been mostly one-sided I however am kind of coming around to the point that it's Utah interesting and that yeah and so it's kind of a new age thing um so when they first joined the, the, the conference uh, back in 2011, they were, you know, took a few years to get going. ASU had the upper hand. But then for several years there, they got really competitive. A lot of those matchups had like significant Pac-12 South implications. And so that, for me, checks the big box. The games mean something. They were hard-hitting. They were nasty. They were physical. Uh, the fan, like the Utah fan base is, uh, they get after it. I mean, I don't, I, mean, I don't know something about, you know, SLC might have a reputation, but like, they can go at it, and actually, there was a, a pretty uh, uh, awful incident. Like there was like a, a Utah fan who's a, like a dentist or something, and he sent some. One of the ASU safeties got ejected for a targeting penalty, and it was just like racist death threats in his DMs, and mm. it just like. And, but then it was kind of like Utah fans weren't necessarily defending him and, and what he said, but just kind of you know still kind of putting picking up for, for that side, and just it, just kind of an example. Okay, so you got the you check the box for the. You know, offline, you know, tra or online trash talk element there, and now with the the move to the 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 Big Twelve, I think that's you're going to see something right there. And I, I do think that one rival that might uh, be kind of kind of rising up the ranks here in the future is BYU. Mm, so we're really going heavily Utah now at this Ye point. Yeah, so they were former WAC uh, rivals. ASU, I think, they've had like a twenty eight all time record, but um, the Valley in the kind of the East Valley has a significant. Um, LDS population, mm -hmm. so there's you know BYU has kind of a stake there, and just some some feelings uh, here in the valley. So I think that 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 could be, uh, you know, with, with uh, you know the LA schools out of, out of the picture, you might see um, U of A one, of course, big gap, Utah and BYU, uh, BYU kind of battling for that uh, the next spot of, on the hate list. Okay, I like Arizona State elbowing their way into the Holy War. <laughs> I think that's great. I I think it's USC, and I I would say probably a lot of the Pac-12 feels that way. Um, and that might just be personal, but I was also in high school during their their dominant time with Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and Carson Palmer and that whole crew, and so I saw a lot of. Uh, a lot of heartbreak um, with the, with the Trojans and their their kind of di mini dynasty there um, during that time. So, and I also think you know USC. If we're talking about stereotypes of programs and fan bases and schools, like they're kind of the elitist program of the league or had been before now they can go be amongst other elitist programs <laughs> in, in the Big Ten. That will be funny to see how they, you know, Michigan and schools like that, how they sort of stack up there. Uh, and and what, what's interesting is that when I covered the Big 12, when I was covering Oklahoma State about a decade ago, um, USC reminds me a lot of Texas, mm -hmm. just kind of that school that everyone kind of hates and that everyone thinks is like more self-important than they actually are and um but i'm also a person who recognizes that you know it, it's it's more fun when usc is 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 good or at least competitive like during those clay helton years like and you beat usc and it like didn't really mean much um that wasn't as fun as like either upsetting usc or going down to the wire with them or or whatnot so yeah i would say usc again maybe in oregon or washington here and there 
There's been some fun ASU Oregon games over over the years. But um, yeah, I think it is USC. But I, I imagine that other schools across the league will will say the same thing beyond even a, a UCLA. That's probably what USC fans would want to hear. Like, I yeah. get the sense that they would be happy to be like, yes, of course you all hate us because you're not us. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. So, no, I've, I've been to games there over the years just because it's an easy drive. And, um, again, sometimes you look at, at at the fan base and I was like, oh, you're all just so entitled and think you're all, <laughs> you know, so, so special and so elitist. And, again just like the title. Not everyone is like that, but that's the perception <laughs> and that's what we all feed into because we're crazy college football people. Sure, sure. One way in which Arizona State is not a particularly crazy college football program, at least, very patient with head coaches. At least the administration mm. is. There's not, mm-hmm. you, you really have to dig to find somebody who didn't get a fifth year or at least part of a fifth year. There's, It's not a quick trigger out there. Is the fan base that patient as well, or are those two things mismatched? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of fan bases in every sport always want to get the, the coach getting fired is always kind of the first thing. Either the quarterback getting benched or the coach getting fired is always the first thing that fans go to. So I would say that it's it's probably a, a little bit more of a he needs to go type type situation um, quicker than the the administration maybe. I will be really interested to see how that plays out with somebody like Kenny Dillingham, Mm -hmm. who's, you know, getting a a really rare opportunity at his age, but is like such a local kid from here. But no, I mean, I I feel like Dirk Cutter, people wanted him gone sooner than it happened. Erickson, Todd Graham, um, you know, maybe Todd Graham was kind of the most surprising. And then certainly, I mean, shoot, I I live in Philadelphia now and I stayed up till three in the morning to watch that Eastern Michigan debacle and then woke (laughs) up to the news that Herm had been fired because it was was too late for me. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I think... Arizona State fans are like any fan base that they uh, they always want the coach gone before the administration actually makes that change. I didn't really think about it much when I was a student and even in the early years after I graduated because um, prior to this, Bruce Snyder was the longest you know tenured coach being there uh, for eight years. Um, but yeah, since then, I, I think as the internet culture has bred itself to message board culture and social media culture and everything being a little more instantaneous. And then when you see other programs doing well and, and have that shiny new toy, I I think that there are certain instances where the fan base tries to scream as loud as they can, hey, let's you know give this guy the ax. Um, I definitely felt that with uh, with Todd Graham, um, especially after the the uh, the rivalry game against Arizona in 2016. Uh, it, the, when your uh, rivals are constantly uh, reminding you they didn't throw a single pass in the fourth quarter, and even when they were running the ball out of mercy, they still couldn't stop that team. The online culture realized the team, they felt the team gave up on him. And it. I think when uh, when the athletic director kept him for another season, that's when things started to go, okay, the people that are preaching patience, let's give him another cycle to get 
another group of, of guys in there. It, it's not there, and and I've I've seen it and heard it uh, a lot, even even with what's happened since, you know, with 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 Herm Edwards and any other coaches that if in this day and age, if you're not uh, proving yourself after your second or third year, then the uh, the angry mob is going to be as much louder, much quicker. Oh God, no, no, <laughs> no chance. Like, um, yeah. So, like, they go three and out on opening drive. I get flooded with people that want to fire the staff. You know, make a quarterback change. There's absolutely no patience. And that's just kind of the the character of, of the valley as like a as like a sports um, uh, community. Because mm-hmm. there's like unlike you know as you've done prior episodes like Auburn, Iowa, Notre Dame. You know, those are like small college towns. This is the fifth largest city in the country. So there's a lot of other options, and it's a very fleeting town, and not a whole lot of people are actually like our our natives and have ties to the valley. So there's a lot of like torn allegiances. So but like. The team, the community in the city will rally against a team if they get hot. Mm-hmm. But if, I mean, outside of like the Phoenix Suns, like really just kind of, if if you're not relevant on a consistent basis, they'll find something else to do. Then And the patience isn't there because like there's just so many options, both sports and otherwise, to, to, to go do. So, um, yeah, in terms of, you know, the coaches, they've had some pretty good, pretty good patience, maybe over patient in some cases. Uh, but yeah, just the, the fan base, um, I mean, there are certainly diehards. I don't want to sell, discount them, but collectively, a, a, as a large entity, there's they're not patient. They're pretty, pretty fickle and a very "what have you done for me lately" type yeah. of mentality. There's no way I can't ask this question. Arizona State's reputation is one for partying and partying very hard. I have never been on campus. I have, you know, I haven't been to the Waste Management Open. How well earned is this reputation? How much of it is fact versus uh, just sort of a kernel of truth that has spiraled into something bigger than it actually is? Despite the administration's best efforts, it might the reputation might actually come in under what it is. <laughs> I, I mean, that's not yeah. what I expected to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely well earned, but yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty well. I mean. The, the 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 waste management open that's an absolute shit show. I mean, <laughs> it, it is it is it is a war zone. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just, again kind of there's just so much things. There's so many things to do. I, I don't know, like if people think that you know Phoenix or Tempe is a desert town, but like Tempe is just like a suburb of the Greater Phoenix. There's it's everything there. And Scottsdale's right up the road. Uh, there's yeah, it's there is you can't throw a rock without getting finding some way to get into uh, some mischief and some shenanigans <laughs> in the Tempe area and. Uh, yeah, I would say yeah, it's very well earned, and, and and probably in a lot of cases, uh, you know, coming a little under the the reality. I mean, you uh, you haven't experienced you know going out, like you know, swing making the swing from Tempe up into Scottsdale, and then ending up at at the Slices Pizzeria at four thirty in the morning or something like that's that's the AXU experience. I mean, it's accurate in that if it's a massive, massive school, so what I always tell people is like, no matter what type of person you are your people are probably there in some instance, you know, or in some capacity. So no, if you want to go party all the time, then there's plenty of that to be had on the weekends or even on some weeknights. And, you know, the whole, and I think a lot of college student sections are like this, but, you know, the the whole cliche that everyone's there at kickoff and then everybody is gone by halftime, regardless of if it's a close game, a blowout, either direction, people are going out on a Saturday night and they're going to mill and they're going to frat parties and they're doing all of that. So, uh, but like I said, I 
really do um, think that the institution has become a really, really good one over the last several years. And so uh, if you want to get a good education, especially in certain majors that they're particularly strong in and the innovation that the school has undergone has been pretty impressive. So yes, to answer your question, yes. And the best example I can give is my freshman year. I lived in the dorms and there were these two girls that lived like across the hall from me and uh, they had a great time. And you could, but then they also, we came back from winter break in January and hope they were no longer there. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming they had too much fun. But if you have too much fun, then you're going to flunk out of all of your classes and you're not going to be able to come back to school. They so were that's there the, for a good time, not for a long time. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> I think it is accurate. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's hard for me to say over the last 10 years it's sure. been a while since i've been back uh but like anything else uh, or any other school i think if you have that reputation it's going to stay with you and there's always going to be someone's going to find an example uh, or two or five or ten <laughs> um but be the the landscape both figuratively and literally of the main campus uh, there in tempe has changed considerably over the last 10 to 15 years since Michael Crow became the president. And and more so what I mean is they've uh, eliminated a lot of areas where certain residential halls or Greek life sections of campus were that lended themselves to uh, mythical and legendary uh, scenarios or uh, examples of, of, of that kind of behavior. Um, but I, I think that's something that no matter how hard they try to eliminate, it's always going to exist, especially when you're the largest public enrollment university uh, or pretty close to it in the United States. The more kids you have, the more likely that you're going to find stories and examples of, yep, that's Arizona State. <laughs> What does heaven look like for Arizona State fans? Oh my gosh. Uh, finally living up to the sleeping giant uh, cliche that is always thrown around about this school. Being able to keep local talent in state, that has been an issue, particularly over the last like maybe decade or two. Uh, you, you look up and down, like there's a lot of good high school football talent in Arizona now, and they just tend to go out of state and don't choose either school. And it used, I would say, consistently competing to be in contention for the Rose Bowl. And like I said, now is it trying to tr competing for playoff berths every five years, three, four years? I don't know. But yeah, I, it's hard for me to even envision what like the heaven would look like because we haven't experienced it. But <laughs> I mean, a consistently good, fun product that brings the Valley together, I think would be a great place to start. And that's definitely something that Kenny Dillingham is harping on is trying to get people engaged here, because that is one thing that my, my parents and my older family members talk about that grew up here. I'm, I'm a rare person that not only was I born and raised here as a kid, but both my parents are Phoenix natives, grew up here, never left. And they remember before Phoenix became this explosive, exploded into this huge metrop metropolis. Yep 
Metropolis that Arizona State was the only thing. There were no Suns, there were no Diamondbacks, no Cardinals, and that place was rocking every single Saturday. And it really was a college football town, and it's not anymore. And that's part of what happens when a city explodes and other things kind of take over, and there's a lot more to do. But becoming a place again where a Saturday night with a home game is like the place to be, that would be a great starting point. And then usually with that comes the competitiveness, comes the winning, comes the players wanting to stay here and just like creating an identity again. I think that's really more than like wins or losses or competing for conference titles or that that type of thing. I would love to see that because I've seen it in spurts here and there during my lifetime, but I have never seen it consistently and I'm 35 years old. So that that would be a great place to start is like, oh man, Sun Devil Stadium is rocking every single Saturday that there's a home game. That would be amazing. Heaven would be a regular season ending victory to cap a undefeated season that punches a ticket to, I guess in this case, the playoff while also sealing an 0-12 season for the Wildcats. <laughs> I, I mean, there's, there's no way that like, true Sun Devil happiness can be achieved in, you know, in, in that kind of Nirvana state without there being a, a, a twist of the knife to the Wildcats in some form sure, or fashion. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, because winning would be great. And again, like, they would be, even after, you know, if they basically won a national championship, they would expect in like sanctions just because their AC fans are conditioned to just like doom is coming. But if you could, in that moment of bliss before the, the hammer falls, if you can just get another one, good one in on the cats uh, and make them feel some misery, then yeah, that, that, that would probably be the ultimate nirvana for ASU fans. I think heaven, and this is going to sound extremely strange, but it's a combination of Pasadena and Omaha. Okay. <laughs> explain, I, explain that mixture. Okay. While I realize that Pasadena, at least in the future landscape of college football, will no longer have the utopian destination that it, that it used to because of its ties to the now uh, dying Pacific 12. I know from my experience going there, at least even that one time, made me understand why this is such a wonderful experience for uh, football fans to go there at least once and, and to understand it. I Mind you, this was, you know, 25, 20, 30 years ago. But that's something um, people still, like, that emotion is not something. So much has changed about the sport since the time we're talking about. That part's remained the same. Yeah. But when I, that, you know, so that would be like probably two thirds to 75% of the heavenly space. The other third slash 25% would be Omaha. And the reason I say that is because if there is any other um, passionate part of the Arizona State fan base, it's the, the ones that follow the baseball team. Mm. Now, mind you, most of them are uh, either card-carrying AARP members or are getting older in, in their, their stature. They, it's something I never got to experience either as a student or, or even later in life. And unfortunately, because the, the team hasn't been playing as well in the last decade or so, just the idea of, I don't know why Omaha in June sounds like this heavenly place, but 
the stories that were passed on to me going to some of those games as a as a student made you go okay wow this this sounds like a, a fun thing and then i've heard just as many going why in god's green earth would you want to go to omaha in june to watch a college baseball game but i, I that there's there's just a pocket of what that's like that i think getting back there that there's a certain level of the asu fan base that would uh, just it you know almost like a cubs fan or a, a Red Sox fan until they finally won the World Series kind of a thing. So the flip side of the question is, what does hell look like for Arizona Tucson. State fan? The answer is Tucson. <laughs> the answer will always be Tucson. What is what is so bad about Tucson as someone who's never been there? I've only been there twice in my life. Once was to support a friend who was uh, worked for a, a company that was promoting a concert. And the other was for that uh, the, the volleyball game that I was was talking about, and I just I don't know. Maybe it's just because I had a disdain for the school that I had no desire to go there. Uh, but even when we decided as to go to the Sun Bowl and in the '97 season, you had to drive right by it. And I distinctly remember the friends of mine that we were all driving with when we were trying to figure out where to, you know, make a pit stop and get gas or whatever. It was no keep going. <laughs> and I think we ended up stopping in this town called Benson that was like halfway between Tucson and the New Mexico border just just so we could avoid it. Just so you could put distance between yourself and Tucson. Correct. All right. It looks like just the constant, you know, it, again, even worse than mediocrity, I would say, just the constant turnover uh, if Arizona suddenly got really good under Chet Fish, that would be that would be a nightmare because if they had basketball and football on Arizona State, not fun. Um, you know, constantly losing that game would not be good. And just if this was a total face plant somehow in the Big 12, even with the schools that are moving out of the conference, that would that would be kind of disastrous for this team and this program. So again, I'm cautiously optimistic about Kenny Dillingham and what he's able to do. But if um, this kind of era flop and they're not really able to find the traction with being in a new league, that would be a huge bummer. So we will see. But yeah, I again, there, it's, we've just been living in mediocrity for a large part for most of my life. And um, I guess being worse than that would be hell. But uh, <laughs> we've been in like purgatory this whole time, I feel like in a lot of ways, with like a little couple glimpses and then they just tease you. And then it's like, nope, actually you're back to seven and five. This is where you live. I think they were there in 2016 Okay, uh, near the end. Um, cause it was a team that came in with some expectation, but yeah, it just, uh, they just got bowled over by the cats in, in a, uh, um, in a game that ASU came in. I, I believe that they could have had a chance if they would have won to go to a bowl game, kind of salvage a season. U of A was God awful. They had, I think they had two wins coming in, uh, and ASU or U of A fans to this day still rub it in that cause U of A did not throw a pass in the second half and they ran over ASU for like 500 some odd yards. And you could just see that this team went out there. Um, and just kind of was like the defensive players out there were just like, I, just get me the hell out of here. I don't want <laughs> just like they're getting blown up. And, and again, like, and again, almost tying it to the beginning, just like how ASU's weirdly like kind of obsessed with uniforms. That game, they wore some like anthracite helmets and pants, just kind of yeah. a, a nod to the uh, state's mining history. Well, yeah. Pretty cool, whatever. Um, but so there was such a backlash from prominent the uh, boosters in the community about that performance and associated with the anthracite 
they've never been seen since. It's just traditional maroon and gold. So it's just like, you can't even have nice, cool stuff. And it, it's weird because one of the things that ASU people do really, truly pride themselves on is that I think they are the eight-time running national champion in innovation, like the U.S. News and World Report or yes, something. Yes, yes. I feel like I've seen this in an, on an airport billboard somewhere or something. Nobody has any idea what the hell that means, but they, we, we celebrate it like, it, like it's a, 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 a Pac-12 championship. Uh, and people will love it. And, but it just like, kind of goes like even the most innovative school in the country is so regressive in some ways. But it's fun. And you know, I think everybody, I don't want to make it sound like it's just a, a bunch of just like kind of doom and gloomers out here. It, it, it's people that truly love the moon and gold. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful community, but it's just they've been conditioned by so much heartbreak and failure. <laughs> and even that the best of times are associated with, you know, uh, just like an absolute heartbreak, you know, with Jake Plummer scoring 90 seconds later, your heart's ripped out and your life's destroyed. It's just kind of, you know, a way to live. And you see, you toss in 118 degree weather and it's just a nice mix out here in the desert. Of the fan bases we've talked to so far, Arizona State is the one I knew the least about going into these interviews. And I learned two valuable things after talking to Brad, Gina, and Justin. First, my assumption that rooting for ASU was just a really chill party time was wrong. This is a stressful existence where future promise can easily turn into present disappointment and where success comes with the fear of failure lurking around the corner. Greatness for Sun Devil football is a desert mirage that feels like it should be getting closer, but it never does. And yet you keep on walking because maybe one day you'll get to enjoy the oasis. Second thing I learned... It's Tempe, not Tempe. I feel like I've been getting that wrong my entire life. Thank you again to our guests for joining me on this episode and to my producer, Michael Serber, for his hard work assembling the final product. Thanks to you for listening. And if you feel like it, we would very much appreciate you giving us a rating on your preferred podcast platform. Lastly, thanks as always to our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Next week, well, friends, it is once again all about the you.